0: Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue BTN. And before we get into the show, a word from our sponsor, Northwestern University's School of Professional Studies. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu slash sports. All right, thanks as always to our sponsor, Like I said, if you're looking to get into the sports industry to break in, definitely check out that master's program in sports administration up the road at Northwestern. um, Definitely a great opportunity, so check it out if you're looking to work at a place like BTN or somewhere else within the industry. All right, let's get into our show now. have a uh, great guest lined up and um, a great segment following our guest as well. College basketball season ended a few weeks ago in Minneapolis. The Final Four, but for our guest this week, college basketball season never really ends. It's John Rothstein um, of CBS Sports and Sports Illustrated. And if you're a college basketball fan, chances are you've heard of John, or uh, if you've scrolled Twitter, chances are you've seen John's tweets. He is a Twitter Hall of Famer in the college basketball world. He's one of the leading reporters in the college basketball space. He has uh, many catchphrases that he likes to play over and over again, play the hits over and over again, as he says, and um, I'll try and think of one off the top of my head here. Death taxes, Matt Painter is one example that we get into. He'll say it every time. Purdue does something good. He used to say it about Wisconsin basketball as well, and he's also one of the most connected people in all sports um, with head coaches and players and constantly breaking news and um, carved out some time to come on the show in uh, late April or early May, if you're listening to this um, on May 1st or, or beyond. So it was good to get John on um, when he had a, some breathing room and, and time to hopefully you know, decompress a bit after a long college basketball season. Many thanks to him for coming on and we had a good 30-minute discussion on the college basketball offseason because, like I said, it doesn't really stop. Um, we've got transfer markets still in flux. We've got players weighing the decision whether to enter the NBA or remain in the NBA draft or come back to school. Plenty of Big Ten players are are making that decision and uh, schedules have come out recently for next year so there's a lot of college basketball news still floating out there and I definitely want to get John on for the first time. it has been a guest I've uh, been targeting for a while so good interview with Mr. Rothstein coming up and after that we have a call for the culture segment with Colleen Degnan talk about the lighter side of sports and how it uh, crosses over with entertainment, pop culture, social media. Um, Definitely a fun segment. We'll talk Game of Thrones fatigue. We will talk uh, NBA playoffs and anything and everything, really, um, where sports and pop culture intersect. So good stuff coming up with both interviews, so definitely stay tuned for both. Like I said, off the top, it's John Rothstein. 30 minutes coming up of College Basketball Talk, plus some insight into uh, how John built his career and some discussion about his background in sports media. So, without any further delay, let's get to the interview with John Rothstein. It starts right now. Very pleased to be joined by John Rothstein. He's a college basketball insider for CBS Sports, Sports Illustrated, WFN in New York City. He's also the host of the College Hoops Today podcast. Follow him on Twitter at John Rothstein, and that's John with no H. So, we'll talk about his famous Twitter game in just a little bit, but first off, John, how are you?
1: Great, Alex. Great
0: to be with you. Yeah, great to have you on. And uh, we're taping this on the last day of April, the last day of a college basketball month in 2019 until November, if I'm not mistaken. So all season, John, you've been tweeting and saying, for all the hoop heads out there, that we sleep in May. How much rest are you going to get starting tomorrow?
1: That's a good question. I probably hadn't thought about that until you asked that question, but it definitely feels like it's a quieter time of year in terms of the news cycle in college basketball. You know, the last high major job that was open on the coaching carousel was St. John's. That got wrapped up a little bit over a week ago, and now, you know, we'll wait and see what happens over the next four weeks as to who comes back to school, who stays in the NBA draft, and then moving forward, we should have some really good clarity as to what next season will look like in the Big Ten and beyond.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, for all the sleep in May talk, I I was going to ask if your months of May are different now with the new draft rules, players being able to hire agents and get the feedback, come back to school, and also just uh, the, the transfers as well that we have to keep an eye on. So does May 2019 look different than, say, like May 2010 for you?
1: You know, I think one thing that we've learned is that, you know, in certain cases, obviously transfers are going to have, you know, a significant impact on a team the next season. A lot of times they're plugging holes. We've seen certain instances where transfers made a big impact on a team and I think, you know, you look obviously a couple years ago in the Big Ten, Purdue was able to get a player out of Colorado State named John Octius, who really did a nice job for them on a team that went to the NCAA tournament in the Big 12, DeAndre Kane, who led Iowa State to the Sweet 16 in 2014, was probably pound for pound, inch for inch, the best grad transfer we've seen, so there's a lot of activity on the transfer market, I think some are more influential than others, but that that obviously, combined with waiting to see who's going to come back to school after going through the NBA draft process makes it an interesting month and a fun month in terms of prognosticating. I'm always somebody who loves thinking about lineups and how many bids can a certain conference get the next season, so that always adds to the fun when you're thinking about offseason banter.
0: Yeah, I'm going to bring up some specific names here in just a second, but first I'm curious what you do now that this is a, uh, a down period, like you said. Do you get any free time? Do you go around to campuses this time of year? What are you up to um, just in this this portion of the college basketball offseason?
1: Well, I think, you know, you obviously are keeping tabs on what you're aiming to do from obviously a news perspective. There's different stories and so on and so forth that you're trying to follow every day, and that doesn't really change. You know, even if we get into July and August, I think you're always monitoring certain things. That includes, obviously, you know, the NBA draft stuff and the transfer stuff that you talk about. This May is a little bit different because I'm moving. So that's almost like a second job on top of itself. So I'm preparing for that. I'm not going very far, but that's obviously almost like a full time job when you think about all the stuff. And then I'm going to uh, go away in a couple of weeks for a little uh, RR. I never really stop working, even if I'm in a different location. I will incorporate some college basketball ball into that trip but uh those things are uh, providing a little bit of bounce this time of year in one of the quieter months
0: i was gonna say you don't put your phone down or anything during a uh, vacation do you, do you just stay on at all times or do you ever allow yourself to unplug
1: i'm the kind of person who's afraid to go into the shower because i'm gonna miss <laughs> something so my phone's always with me i usually you know apologize in advance to the people i'm with and so on and so forth but you know my phone's always with me that's for sure
0: all right, before we move on, John, uh, I want to discuss some Big Ten names and, and some of the names still uncertain about if they're going to return to college basketball or uh, remain in the NBA draft. So just looking off the top of my uh, my head here, Iggy Brasdakis and Caleb Wesson, Lamar Stevens, uh, Amir Coffey, Isaiah Roby, and Joe Wieskamp, those are kind of the guys that jump out. Uh, not sure if I missed anyone there, but do you expect any of those guys to be more likely uh, jumping off the page to you to leave um, or I guess remain in the draft? And on top of that, which departure or two do you think would alter the Big Ten landscape most if they leave heading into the next season?
1: Well, let's talk about some of the ones you just mentioned. Let's go one by one. Obviously, you know, Michigan is going to be an outstanding team as long as John Beeline is the head coach. We know that. But if you throw in. The loss of Iggy Brasdakis along with Jordan Poole and Charles Matthews. I don't care who the coach is, you're going to take a little bit of a hit. Now, I'm still going to have Michigan ranked in my top 25 because John Beilein's the head coach, but that would be a significant, significant loss. I'm expecting Joe Wieskamp to come back for Iowa. And, you know, Isaiah Roby to me sounds like a guy who, you know, has the potential based on what we're seeing right now at the NBA level. And, you know, I don't watch a great deal of NBA during the college basketball season. So I do, however, pay attention to the NBA during the playoffs just because I'm preparing to cover the NBA draft and I want to get a better feel. Isaiah Roby is the type of player that in a workout-type setting – could shine and intrigue a team because of his ability to face the basket and stretch the defense. So I'm looking at those three guys as obviously three different entities, obviously, but I think Wieskamp right now to me is the most interesting of obviously the guys that are still potentially going to, you know, come back to school because, you know, I think Isaiah Roby, in Nebraska's mind under Fred Hoiberg, is kind of like icing on the cake. They're building a roster without him. They just took a stretch four from Seattle as a grad transfer. If they get him back, great. If not, they're fine. And I think in Michigan's case, you know, obviously you want to be prepared to move on and keep things afloat. If Iggy Iggy Brazdakis does leave, it'll be a big loss, obviously, for Michigan. But as long as John Beeline's the coach, they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. To me, Iowa is the team that I think is really really fascinating the track entering next season because we know that Tyler Cook has you know pretty much come out and said that you know he's going to be a professional from here on out but think about it for a sec Alex you have a team that took Tennessee to the brink in the round of 32 everybody essentially of significance is back except for Tyler Cook and Fran McCaffrey was really in a lot of ways prepared for the loss of Cook because he redshirted Cordell Pencil and also redshirted Jack Nunji. So there's reinforcements on the way for Iowa. So to me, if they get, you know, Wieskamp back and you add him with Bohannon and Moss and obviously Luka Garza and you plug in that four spot with one of the guys I just mentioned, you're going to have, for all intents and purposes, one of the more potent offensive lineups in the Big Ten.
0: Yeah, agreed. And uh, talking transfers now, it's unique, in this soft season, because we have a, a pair of brothers, the Hauser brothers, from Marquette, who you reported are visiting three Big Ten schools, uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Michigan State, I believe. Uh, where's that process at? How's that proceeding? And um, is it as simple as the Big Ten having a 3-4 and four shot, or is, is Virginia uh, the favorite there?
1: I, I texted Joey Hauser this morning. We went back and forth a little bit. He just told me that they visited Wisconsin- You know, over the weekend, and that was essentially it. You know, he gave me the list of schools, which I reported last week. I mean, I think if you look at the way the Hauser Buzz brothers play, you know, the ability to go over the top of the defense, the ability to be physical, they look like they're made to play in the Big Ten. But, you know, there's obviously been a lot of chatter, you know, that they were linked to Virginia. So we'll have to wait and see, you know, what transpires in that process. But that to me, I think was, you know, probably the most interesting transfer dynamic of the offseason so far because the co- these commitment for those two to transfer happened just days after Marcus Howard announcing that he was going to be in a situation to come back for Marquette. So that was definitely the most unexpected thing I saw hit the wire. All
0: right, John, we're going to shift gears a little bit. And before we get into your background, which I like to do with uh, sports reporters when they come on, we got to talk about your Twitter game a little. Uh, it's kind of become a story in itself you know as you've gone along and built your brand on twitter especially when you go on podcasts um i heard your your background a little bit on pardon my take and uh, the one shining podcast with titus and tate so i want to ask first off about the tweet you start every single day with the stay hungry stay humble um is that more to inspire others or inspire yourself
1: it's a combination of both it's just a daily reminder that you know Each day is its own separate opportunity and its own separate entity to get better. And I think, you know, one thing that, you know, we always learn and I think, you know, one thing that you learn, I think, with more life experience and you get a little bit older is that, you know, the accomplishments and the accolades of previous days, weeks, months and years, decades have absolutely no bearing on the future. So that's always kind of a way for me to hit reset each and every day that I wake. And that's kind of the mindset that I try to, you know, adapt each and every day that I live.
0: All right. I'm a little bit woke on this because I've noticed I was reading through and it's every day at 6 a.m. sharp. So are you tweeting this by hand at 6 a.m. sharp or are you scheduling these tweets?
1: Yeah, It's a combination of both. I'm not really much of a sleeper, so I'm an early riser. I like to get things done early in the morning, so it's a combination.
0: Gotcha. All right. A couple other sayings that uh, are personal favorites of mine. Uh, more life altering than TSA PreCheck. That's so accurate because I got that in the last like year, and um, like you said, it is life altering.
1: Well, it's just amazing, isn't it? Like you might you might have a 1:45 flight, and you get to the airport at 12:45, and by 12:52, you're through security. TSA PreCheck is indeed life altering.
0: <laughs> and uh, I think it was Duke you called uh, more of a must-watch than Seinfeld in its prime, right? Was that his past year? This,
1: this Duke team, I felt, was the most. You know, what's the best word to describe it? was the most of you know magnetic Duke team that I've ever covered in college basketball. There's been so many great Duke teams over the years and so many teams that obviously had chance to win national championships and did win national championships. But Duke to me this year was appointment television each time they took the floor because of Zion Williamson. And I you know thought back in my you know years like where else would we see the term appointment television used? Well if you were a child in the nineties like I was, you thought about Thursday nights on NBC with Seinfeld. So this Duke team in eighteen nineteen, more of a must-watch than Seinfeld than his prime.
0: Are you a Curb Your Enthusiasm fan too? Then,
1: not not a huge Curb fan. Not just just haven't had the time to throw myself into many series because you know the last you know <laughs> fifteen years or so I've just really just been working.
0: Yeah, well, if you're a Seinfeld fan, I, I think you'd like it. So if you ever have free a uh, free thirty <laughs> minutes or so to kill, flip it on. Um, John, like I alluded to, uh, I want to get into your background a little um, and might as well go back as far as your college hoops obsession can go. So just let me know when this, I guess, commitment to the sport and when you decided to, uh, you know, really pursue this college basketball career started.
1: Well, you know, in terms of my overall interest in the sport, that happened on March 23rd, 1991, when Duke played UNLV in the national semifinals and upset UNLV. And obviously Christian later made the free throws with 12 seconds left. But, you know, I, you know, when I was coming out of college about 15 years ago, you know, I kind of knew that this was going to be a difficult field to break into. And I kind of went in two directions. I was, you know, a talk show host for a long time and on ESPN radio in New York for about a half a decade. And I also, you know, freelance covered college basketball for different publications. And I built, you know, a pretty good network in that area. And then I was hired by the MSG network in 2007 which is a regional television network in new york to be their college basketball insider and i was there for three years and then i i got an opportunity to go to cbs and in 2010 i remember i was at a rutgers practice and i got a call from my boss at espn radio and he offered me an opportunity to have my own talk show at the espn radio affiliate in los angeles and i was you know humbled and excited about the opportunity but i had just you know kind of broken into the CBS family, and I felt like, you know, with my background and my passion, I'd be able to, you know, climb the ladder a bit, and I wanted to see that thing through, so I opted kind of at that moment to make this my livelihood, and I've put everything I've had, you know, inside of myself into that ever since.
0: Yeah, your background's interesting to me in particular because you went to Ithaca College, and like you said, worked in New York City and really worked your way up, and I don't consider either of those areas, especially NYC, a big college basketball city necessarily so how did you stand out and build a brand doing that in that uh, in that fishbowl
1: I didn't think there was anybody in the market that was overwhelmingly passionate about college basketball wanting to talk about college basketball you know people kind of just followed it obviously during the NCAA tournament in March Madness but the fortunate thing for me was New York City at that time was synonymous with the Big East when the Big East was at the apex of college basketball so I said to myself You know, if you're working here and you can obviously cultivate great relationships in the Big East and great relationships in the Atlantic 10 and great relationships in the MAC, you can kind of work starting in the Big East and the Northeast and then work outwards nationally. And that's kind of what I started to do. And when I would take trips to other areas of the country, I would make sure that I would go to visit other campuses and connect with other coaching staff. I remember I had a friend, I think in 2011, get married in San Francisco, and I made sure to fly out early. And spend part of a day at Stanford, part of a day at Cal, part of a day at St. Mary's. And then I went out to Los Angeles to visit some friends and I made sure that I went by UCLA and things like that. And doing things like that allowed me to build my network. And that obviously makes it easier when you're trying to get ahead on stories and trying to get information. So I just tried to adapt that model and keep investing in myself rather than be in a situation where, you know, other people who might have been in their 20s were you know spending money to travel or other things like that, I was pretty, you know, intent on making sure that all my resources were going to be in a situation where they're going to be committed to building my brand in college basketball.
0: Yeah, and going deeper into those relationships you build over the years, and obviously, you know, so much of your career is built on those uh, connections with people in the industry. I'm just curious, and obviously you don't need to name names here, but are there instances where coaches that you'll try and reach out to just aren't interested in having any sort of coach media back and forth relationship and if so how do you handle that and navigate those waters
1: you know coaches are obviously people when you're talking about the highest level of college basketball who are in high demand they're obviously are in high demand with recruits they're in high demand with the players on their own team they're in high demand with people who are obviously you know associated with their university So I try not to take anything personally in terms of how much time somebody wants to give you. You know, if I'm obviously in a situation where I'm going to be on your campus or in your area, I hope I get the benefit of the doubt that, you know, I'm going to be able to get some time. But a lot of relationships in college basketball, just like relationships in life, happen organically. So you're not going to be as close with certain coaches as you are with other coaches. But, you know, I think what I've kind of learned is that if you're fair, if you're objective, you know internally you're doing the right things as a journalist, as a broadcaster, and as a human being. Now, when you tell the truth and you give your opinion, a lot of times coaches aren't going to like that anyway, but that's just part of the job.
0: How many head coaches' phone numbers would you say you have in your cell phone right now?
1: Uh, I'd have to go and look at the standings <laughs> and list, but there's a, there's quite a bit in there.
0: Yeah, and I guess if you had assistants in there too, it's probably in the many hundreds. So,
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: And one more question about uh, the contents of your phone. How many texts would you estimate you send a day? Because you texted me back almost instantaneously. You mentioned you texted the Hauser brothers this morning. I imagine that number's pretty high, too.
1: Yeah, I would say that I'm, you know, I'm probably sending, you know, when I'm working on news and stuff like that, anywhere from 50 to 100 texts before I go to the gym early in the morning. And then, you know, what kind of comes back from that, I work on and kind of move things forward in that direction. So I'd say that's kind of how I start my day. And then, you know, I have a list the night before I go to bed on things I want to follow up on, things I want to touch base on. Then I kind of, you know, make sure I get those messages out or emails out if I'm trying to book, you know, a guest for my podcast and then get in a situation where I go and, you know, go to the gym, work out. And, you know, sometimes periodically as you're working out, things will come back and you can work on them when you're in the middle of the workout. But that's kind of normally how I start my day very early.
0: All right. One more question about um, the way you, I guess, cover and, and build your college basketball coverage. Uh, how are you consuming these games? Do you see most of them in studio, or do you do you get to many games per year? How does that work? The
1: great thing about you know working at CBS, and you know I'm fortunate to be in there a couple times during the week, and then you know every Saturday for the most part during the season, and obviously you know a lot of Sundays too. Is we have you know up to twelve TVs in our newsroom. So on a Saturday, you know, at a 12, 2, or 4 o'clock block, I can have every game that's being played in a major conference on the TV. So what I try to do is, obviously, if I'm not in studio, I'll watch the game at home. I have two TVs in my apartment, and then, you know, obviously I obviously have my computer and phone. And then I'll also be in a situation where I'll watch, obviously, a lot of games at the studio. I try to go to games live if I'm not working in New York at the start of the season. And then once conference play you know, kind of comes around. I prefer probably not to be at a game, just to be at home working. And I think you see more sometimes when you're at a game at home and that's the only thing you're focusing on.
0: I think you said in the previous podcast, you've never had a cup of coffee. Is that true?
1: Never had a cup of coffee, never had a glass of wine, never played golf and never been to Europe.
0: (laughs) So I'll leave the, uh, I guess the last two alone because those are activities, but how do you manage? I guess all of these uh, organizational duties and manage your energy if you've never had a cup of coffee. And we'll throw the wine in there, too. How does, how does that work?
1: You know, you just learn to manage your time. You know, one of the, the best decisions I ever made in my life was opting to finish college, you know, a year earlier. And, you know, doing that, you know, required obviously some extra course load and obviously some extra work. But it taught me time management. It taught me self-reliance. Everybody thinks that, you know, every you know, when you have a list full of tasks that it's gonna be overbearing, but if you continuously are always working on something, you know, tasks are continuously getting done. You know, I heard once read that, you know, there's a quote, you know, if you want something done, ask a busy person. You know, the more tasks that you have on your plate, the more you're eventually going to get done.
0: All right, I'm circling back now to some of the catchphrases you use on Twitter and, and making these big ten focused because I heard on the Pardon My Take uh, podcast you were on you told the story behind the death taxes, Matt Painter, and how you kind of switched it from Bo Ryan. So, yes. Do you have any other? Uh, what What are your other Big Ten ones? I I'm struggling to think of them off the top of my head, but I know I see them when they pop up every uh, college basketball season.
1: I think Steve Peichel, pounding nails. Yep, that's a good one. That's that's definitely one. I'm trying to think what else I have. Uh, you know, Chris Holtman more meticulous than a forensics officer. <laughs> That's definitely one. Don't have any from Michigan, Michigan State. Archie Miller, more locked in than a CPA on April 14th. There you go. That's definitely one. Greg Gard, silent assassin. Yep. That's definitely one. And then others in the mix. I'm trying to think about missing anything right here. Don't have anything on Penn State. Don't have anything on Northwestern. Don't have anything on Illinois yet. Nothing on Nebraska that could change with Fred Hoiberg. Stay tuned for that You know, as we get closer and closer to the season. But, yeah, I just think we, we went through them.
0: I'm definitely uh, interested to hear what you come up with for those you know, remaining half of the league. and Some of those up-and-coming teams, like you mentioned, Nebraska, maybe Illinois, you'll have to come up with some material heading into next year. Um, so let's talk Big Ten basketball on that note and look ahead. We had uh, in the Big Ten eight NCAA tournament bids this year, Final Four team. Pretty solid year overall. Obviously that elusive national championship uh, was not to be. But do you think the league will be as deep as it was, just kind of a uh, zoomed-out look at the conference heading into 1920. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, you're going to have the consensus favorite to win a national championship in the Big Ten next year in Michigan State. You're also going to have, I think, you know, as long as, you know, Anthony Cowan returns to school from Maryland, a bona fide top 10 or 15, you know, team to start the season in Maryland. I know that obviously they're not going to return Bruno Fernando, but you've got Jalen Smith. You've got, you know, obviously the Mitchell Twins coming in. There's a lot to like if you're looking at Maryland. And then you're going to have a John Beeline coach team with its starting point guard back in Xavier Simpson, with Isaiah Livers back, with John Teske back. Now, if Iggy Brozdakis comes back on top of that, You know, it's a major, major bonus. But right there, you have three teams that you know are going to be in the top 25 to start the season. Purdue, as long as Matt Painter is the head coach, is going to be treated and should be treated just like Wisconsin was when Bo Ryan was the head coach. Because regardless of personnel, you are going to have a team, a culture, and a program that should be top 25 caliber. And then I really think the team that you need to look at is Iowa. I mean, four starters probably back from my 23-win team. Guys who sat it up four in Pemsel and Nunji. Connor McCaffrey is back. You've got explosive firepower on this team. There's a lot to like for Iowa, so that gives you five. Ohio State has an outstanding recruiting class. They should get Caleb Wesson back. You know, he's going to go through the process as well. The only reservation I have about Ohio State, and I know they have a great recruiting class, they do not return a starting guard. That worries me, just because C.J. Jackson, Keyshawn Woods, gone, obviously. C.J. Walker, the transfer from Florida State, is going to play a big role. Illinois is a team that made great strides, obviously, last year, beating Maryland at the Garden, beating Michigan State. You know, the Sunmu is somebody who is going to, you know, take a massive jump next year, being All-Big Ten player. He and Trent Frazier give you a lot of pop in the backcourt. Rutgers, you know, had a, a really strong season under Steve Peichel. And then, you know, the team that you know, I think is a little bit of a wild card because they lost Romeo Langford and Jawan Morgan as Indiana. Like They won 19 games last year, but you lose an All-Big Ten player in a first-round pick. So I think we've got five for sure top 25 teams that will be in my poll to start the season. And I think was the team, to me, that's really intriguing when you look at their offensive prowess.
0: Yeah, Indiana and Minnesota are two that, especially if coffee comes back, just, uh, I'm curious to see where they land. And, and talk about <laughs> Illinois as well. They're, they're the biggest variable for me. I could see them making a huge leap, but um, they definitely have to make some improvements, even despite uh, the the strides that they showed in the middle of last season. Um, So before we wrap up, John, you you mentioned right off the top, Michigan State is likely a national title contender, uh, favorite in the Big Ten. Who outside of the conference are you looking at that, is at their level in terms of talent, experience. Uh, I'm sure the usual suspects with Duke bringing in a number one recruiting class will be up there. Uh, who, who are some national title contenders outside of the conference next year?
1: You know, I think if we're going to answer this fairly, we have to wait and see what happens with, you know, the NBA draft situation obviously the late recruiting process. Obviously, Duke, you know, getting Trey Jones back for another year was monumental. They've got an outstanding recruiting class. They have to be on the list. North Carolina got Cole Anthony and I know that they've added some pieces, but they also lost a lot from the team last year that lost to Auburn. You look elsewhere around college basketball, we need to see what Kansas does in terms of its, you know, late recruiting, I think getting Udoka Azabuki back will pay major dividends for them. And then as far as, you know, what we're seeing elsewhere, you know, I think if you're looking for teams that are somewhat outside the box of the normal teams you're gonna see ranked in the top ten, the Dukes, the Kansases, the Kentuckys, the Michigan States. I think a team that could be really back on the national radar in a major way is Arizona. I mean, think about what they have from a perimeter perspective right now. Next season, Brandon Williams, Brandon Randolph come back after playing major minutes. You're also going to have, obviously, Nico Mannion and Josh Green as a part of that you know core and you also have Max Hazard the grad transfer from UC Irvine so I think Arizona has a chance to play its way back into the national spotlight next year but there's still some time to I think go through what we're going to see some from a top 25 perspective because there's a lot of teams right now that aren't really finished products i mean Gonzaga has a team that you would think you know should be a top 10 or 15 team I know for a fact right now the main goal for Gonzaga during the spring was adding a grad transfer point guard. Right now Gonzaga does not have somebody at the most important position on the floor that they can count
0: on. Looking at the final four from last year, uh, obviously key departures on Auburn, and Texas Tech, and Virginia. Do any of those teams take major step backs? And, and if so, uh, who might be like the next uh, Auburn or Texas Tech, a team that rises up and, and unexpectedly makes a run, um, best you can tell, with even despite the – you know, lack of info about who's coming back so far.
1: Good question. You know, I think the amazing thing about Auburn's run is that they won that Elite Eight game and they against Kentucky, and they took Virginia to the wire. You know, should have won the game without, obviously, Chumo Kiki. To me, a team that I'm really looking at is Florida, just because, you know, they have a freshman in Scotty Lewis who's going to do a little bit of everything. He's a Swiss Army knife on steroids. And you get back Noah Locke. And you get back Keontae Johnson. And obviously, you know, the hope is to get Andrew Nemhard back. They're also bringing a great point guard and Trey Mann. So I'm really kind of bullish on Florida heading into the next year. I think that's a top 25 caliber team. I like Scotty Lewis that much. Other teams to keep in, you know, in mind as, you know, teams that are, you know, weren't obviously thought of as second weekend teams, which should be better. Louisville you know, who brings, brings in the tremendous recruiting class. As far as the NBA draft process goes, they're waiting on Jordan War to find out if he's going to come back and, you know, have another season in college basketball. Dynamic shooter Chris Mack has told me, you know, that he you know, reminds him a lot of Trayvon Blewett. And I think a team that, you know, you should look at from the Big 12 is Baylor. Baylor made the NCAA tournament and won a game against Syracuse despite obviously limited resources. They had massive injuries last season. Tristan Clark didn't obviously have the role he was expected to have because of injury but you look at the chemical makeup of that team Jared Butler is going to be back you're also going to see other experienced players back like Mario Kegler I think Baylor's a team that again a lot of people aren't talking about but like Louisville should be in the top 15 to start the season
0: All right, John that's all I got for you a ton of good stuff really appreciate it it's been a real pleasure having you on Um, definitely everyone out there check out his work on CBS, Sports Illustrated, and of course, the College Hoops Today podcast. Once again, really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Alex. Appreciate having me,
0: man. All right. Thanks once again to John for joining me. Like I said, really appreciate the time. Um, he is a machine. It's crazy to, to hear someone like that describe how they work and and manage everything. And, and I just feel like there's a few people in sports media who are just built to do this job um, in college basketball. John Rossing is definitely one of those people, um, similar to Adam Schefter in the NFL, Adrian Wojnarowski in the NBA. These are people who are, you know, probably addicted, honestly, to how they cover the sport, and they it pains them to miss a scoop, and they and they heavily t- prioritize their jobs, and that's why they're so good at it. So it's fascinating always to, for me, to talk to someone like that, um, and once again appreciate him coming on. All right, moving on now to our call for the culture segment with producer Colleen Degnan. Colleen and I talk about a variety of topics that kind of lighter side of sports and, and outside of sports basically um about what's going on kind of in the realm of sports entertainment and social media today uh definitely a very light segment so sit back and enjoy it it's the call for the culture segment with colleen degnan and that starts right now all right we're back with another episode of call for the culture it's alex rue Joined by Colleen Degnan. Colleen, what's up?
2: Alex, I mean, when everyone's listening to this, I'm going to have to ask you, why aren't you wearing any pink today?
0: Because of May Day?
2: <laughs> not because of May Day.
0: What's, what's the pink occasion? It'll be
2: na- it's National Mean Girls Day. National Mean Girls Day it's...
0: is which day? April 30th? Uh, yeah. Okay, so today. So in the past, if you're listening to it, when it comes out on Wednesday, I didn't know that on Mean Girls Day you wear pink.
2: Well, you can't sit with us if you're not wearing pink.
0: Oh, that makes sense. That's a scene <laughs> movie. I will say, okay, Mean Girls is an awesome movie. Like, I've seen it a few times, and, you know, even though it might not cater to my demographic necessarily, that's the brilliance of it because it crosses over to uh, both guys and girls like it.
2: So, like, I would say maybe it does. I can't really speak because I didn't go to a co-ed high school, but there's got to be some parallels to, like, that being a high school situation. Did I know that?
0: that I went to a girl school. Co-ed high school? What was that like? I loved it. Really? So much. I can't imagine. Like, I just feel like you miss out on so many... Social interactions. I mean, it doesn't. Se- it doesn't really seem to hurt you much. If You like can they interact with me just fine, I guess. But I, I don't know. I can't imagine going to an all guys school.
2: Not totally socially illiterate, I guess. Thanks, Alex. No. Um, but anyways, yes, today is National Mean Girls Day. It came out 15 years ago today.
0: Some legendary um, actor, actors and actresses in that. It's Lindsay Lohan, of course. Her uh, one of her big films. Who else was in that? Rachel McAdams. Rachel
2: McAdams. I love her. Tina so Fey. Tina Fey. Uh, Amy Poehler,
0: Amy Poehler is in it. Don, uh, not Don Cheadle. What's the other guy's name? The principal. What's that
2: actually? Oh right? my gosh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I
0: don't yes, know. Though, yes. Anyway, it's a, and
2: a bunch of others. Yeah,
0: it's it's a great cast, great movie. Uh, makes me feel a little bit old that it's fifteen years old. I don't know about you, but uh, ages me a little bit. So
2: no, doesn't make no? me feel that old. All right, well, still might, still a good one.
0: I'm Have to fire it up and watch it again <laughs> soon. It's, it's always one that you can kind of go to the well and know you're going to be in for a good hour and a half, two hours or so. Um, what else is new? Uh, we're, we're post-NFL draft now. we got the NFL draft in the review mirror. I'm very thankful for that because I watched all seven rounds, all 254 picks, and I'm kind of burned out on the NFL draft at this point. But I, I know you might have watched it in a different way this past weekend because of the whole split broadcast thing with ESPN. Yeah,
2: so they had three different broadcasts going, oh. and I was going to maybe – test out a few of them but abc locked me in when they had taylor swift open up with robin roberts like
0: hello see i didn't see that i did see on social media that taylor swift was part of it uh interesting idea about espn to you know try and kind of get behind the stories and well, the lifestyle that one was ABC. and the lifestyle more of it yeah, yeah it was definitely a very abc broadcast um
2: yeah there was all these human interest angles they had like luke bryan on it was the college game day crew um, but yeah, I loved it because like you got to see the top guys. At least for, I only I only really watched the whole thing the first night, um, and so you got to see the best guys and then a little bit about them that you might have not known.
0: Well, ESPN is known for kind of their mega cast where they'll put different angles on different channels, right? They'll have a, a certain style of broadcast that kind of runs parallel to the main broadcast. But there was always a part of that, that never made total sense to me because a lot of it was serving the same audience. In this case, you're serving different audiences because you're kind of trying to draw in. The average nightly news viewer that kind of wants the bigger picture, and I think one of the uh, the players and Big Ten personalities that crossed over and kind of um, bridged that that threshold was definitely Devin Bush. Um, yes, I know you like the suit.
2: Did you? Did, what were, What are your thoughts on his suit?
0: So this is like the red carpet where it meets the sports, right? Yes, uh, exactly. You know, it was interesting. I really like the sunglasses, the shades. They're kind of RoboCop looking, um, and then the suit was like. Very kind of Sha- a
2: sling, almost. It was Ta- Timothy Chalamet esque, for okay. sure.
0: And it, yeah, and people were like, "Wait, is he hurt? Is his arm in a sling right now?" And I don't know if you saw the um, the Devin Bush video where they brought guys in after. Or I think they put them. They recorded it before they were drafted, but anyway, they had pre-recorded videos of these players' families kind of saying how proud they were of the uh, of their sons of the draft picks. And Devin Bush's video was the one that probably went the most viral because. He basically was uh you know in this little green room with uh the headphones on. they showed his family saying their tribute video to him, and then he just broke down in tears for throughout th- most of the video and it was i don't know it was it was touching
2: oh my gosh, the tears got me a b c really and, like, pulled at this, my is the same, <laughs> this is the
0: same guy that tore up the field of Michigan. It's funny just to see, like, you yeah. know, like, this savage on the field. And he's like, so
2: confident, with, so much swag. Yeah. His suit spoke for himself. And the cool thing about it, so obviously it was custom made. I, I don't okay. think you can just find that anywhere. Yeah, I don't think so either. And so the guy who made it, like, Greer, Greer, I believe is how you say his last name, um, from Charlotte, a no-name, and ended up kind of in this whirlwind experience, and now he's going to be also designing some suits for the NBA draft. So really cool for him. Nice, nice. He's got this um, little bit um, nomadic past, and mm-hmm. he's still trying to find his way, but I just kind of love that, and I think it's really cool that Devin Bush wanted his suit, and he made one for his dad, Devin
0: Bush Sr. Cute. And, yeah. Noah Fan was another guy who got emotional watching the family videos, and um, yeah, it's cool to see, like you said. Um, but yeah, like I said, I've had enough of the NFL draft. It's yeah, such yeah, a yeah. big it's, event. It's long. Know?
2: They made it up to be like a reality show oh, this year, though.
0: Well, I like how they've done, like we talked about this last week, but how they make it to be a, just like an event now. It's not just like in a ballroom or in Radio City Music Hall like it used to be. A, now it's a whole city-wide event. Nashville did a really good job. Uh, the bachelorette
2: parties I'm, might have been yeah, a little surprised. <laughs> I know.
0: Um, it's made me want to go and visit Nashville a little more after seeing the setup they had there. And uh, you brought up Taylor Swift at the beginning. Uh, yeah, she's got she a new single. I haven't heard it. How is it? You haven't heard it? Me? Maybe I have. I don't know.
2: I dropped on Friday.
0: Okay. No, I don't think I have. Is it good?
2: Okay, so... I am a very big Taylor Swift fan, and apparently this is in line. A lot of her other fans have said she always drops a single that's very poppy and airy and not that deep or not like going to be the best one, but mm-hmm. it draws people in. And I think that's the consensus. But she has a really cool cameo with a guy from um, Panic at the Disco
0: in it, and he's really cool. Panic, I, Panic at the Disco's kind of revived their, I, no, love it. Uh, I guess, you know, mainstream relevance a little bit because... Their high Hope song came out recently. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. I've been bumping that lately. Um, but yeah, Taylor Swift gets so much, I think undeserved hate. I don't know why. Like people hate her so much. I know like she's kind of dramatic about it's like the relationships. That's why people like don't like her, right? But all things considered, she's pretty squeaky clean and like a, a you know fine. Well, role she's model just like to,
2: so genuine and like really yeah. awkward and like she's not that perfect celebrity, which I kind of love. And she's you know doing her thing. Every album's a little bit different and. She's still thriving at age, like, 30, I believe. Yeah,
0: I've always, I've always been a fan. Still am. So I'll have to check out this yeah, single. Yeah,
2: been to multiple concerts of hers, so uh, say oh, <laughs> Shout out.
0: Um, also in the news, we've got to give props to our man on Jeopardy uh, named James Halzer, right? Yep. James Halzer. Okay. Um, you said, said is, he's an Illinois alum. Yes, this is a um, direct connection to our podcast here because not only did <laughs> he grow up in Naperville, I believe, he's a University of Illinois alum, ILL. You know, we're not the, uh, one of the best academic institutions in the country for nothing. You know, we breed and uh, churn out geniuses, apparently. James has uh, honestly been compelling TV. We flipped it on yesterday, and he barely squeaked out a win.
2: That was a high by, anxiety.
0: by $18. It was nuts. But he's been attacking the game from a different standpoint. He's, he's using his sports betting background to kind of play the odds a little more, um, go at the categories from the higher values on down essentially right because like that's been winning him these big totals he can afford to risk more money and and and, uh, get more questions wrong so he's kind of changing the game he's uh on ken jennings trail right to to break his record coming up soon uh i think did he no he has
2: not broken it yet okay but also funny and how you always give me a hard time for randomly have connections to things my friend's like, distant cousin is the guy that almost beat him yesterday.
0: Really? He's an SID you at know that a school in we Massachusetts.
2: Watching? No, I, I, I think I sent some dumb snap about it, and uh, he got back to me, and I think that's hilarious. Because
0: we had it on in the office, and honestly, I've never seen a group of people more locked in in our little seating area that's than to that. That's not a sporting to event. <laughs> yeah,
2: even, like to, even for sporting events, like everyone
0: was like, oh, is he going to blow it? And... Shout out!
2: Well, he's a professional better so this guy probably likes knows the. Shout drama. out the
0: fighting line eye. Yeah, exactly. He played it perfectly. Go get Ken Jennings' record, James. We're all behind you. <laughs> Keep it moving, um, and shout out Alex Trebek as well. Hopefully, he uh, he pulls He's battling. Doesn't he have pancreatic cancer? Very true. Yeah. Very true. I mean, good to see him still working. Yeah, he doesn't. Uh, it's it's like, not holding yeah, him holding him up can't at all. From watching the show. Um, speaking of TV, moving on, like we have to talk about how Game of Thrones is just consuming <laughs> everything and everybody. In, You're just so bitter because you don't understand it. I mean, just talk about being over something and sick of it. Like, I, I'm so over this. This It's way worse this year as being an outsider than it Than, than it ever has been else. before. And, like, I know, you know, I'm going to come off as a hater to anyone who watches Game of Thrones and, and enjoys it. Like, I'm sure I would enjoy it if I watched it, too. I just never came, like, across it, I guess, at the right time or never got the chance to binge it. But I want this podcast to officially be... A place of refuge, a <laughs> home for those like you and I who don't watch Game of Thrones. Okay, well, I'm an asterisk
2: other, watcher, you know this. Because the reason
0: it's taking over my life is like every other podcast I listen to is now carving out like a chunk to of talk about. time to talk about the latest episode. <laughs> I'm like, I don't. Okay, one, well, the
2: relevancy. Okay, I have been, I have been watching. You know this. I told you. We've yes. explained this. No, no, you've watched, but you stopped watching. You said, I but I'm I've I've, back? I've picked up the last three but you, episodes. But you've
0: missed the last like three seasons, right? Correct. Okay, That's hundred percent correct. You stopped correct. At season five. And
2: I'm not I'm not saying I, every. I'm not proud of this, but it's just the reality of the situation. But I'm living for it because all these crossover hybrid beams with like the Blazers yes. and Arya Stark now, like it's incredible. And to actually understand what they're talking about, really, really good for the feed.
0: So I've got a problem. I, I just don't understand. Like this is obviously a huge weekend for cinema and TV and entertainment with Avengers Endgame coming out. Don't and, t- it's out. Yeah, for this past weekend, I'm saying. Oh. And, and Game of Thrones being like a huge, ep- a highly anticipated it a episode. a huge right? episode. <laughs> okay, so tell me how there is a whole campaign on social media built around not spoiling the end of Avengers Endgame and you're basically ostracized like LaShawn McCoy uh, was when he spoiled it on Twitter and you're just looked at as a huge jerk for spoiling. But everybody just tweets out the ending to every game of thrones episode well, because, now just like, because they're clout chasing and trying to no, no, trying no, 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 to get no, no, the hottest no. meme. Yes. Different different happening.
2: different. Because I think that not everybody and their mom can go see Avengers at I the know. exact time that's it comes the out. Difference. And it comes out on HBO at the same time every Sunday. So
0: I that's I kind understand. of I understand the you. difference is that everybody's watching at the same time. I understand yes. that. Yeah, not everyone's watching Avengers at the same time, but the fact remains that not everybody has seen Game of Thrones that maybe wants to to see it someday. And as I want to, I yourself? Would like to yes, I would like to 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 watch someday. But now it's been eight know, seasons. If you haven't I joined, I doubt on. you're going to. Like, I know what's going to happen because everyone you know has to rush to make their their meme um, on Twitter or whatever about well, who's killed who lately. I can basically recant the whole episode now just because <laughs> what I've observed on social media and what I've heard on podcasts. So yes, I sound bitter. I sound just, like cranky about it. But you know what? Uh, it's it's uh, it's frustrating that. Somehow there's a double standard with uh, spoilers. Now the Game of Thrones is kind of crossed over I into just, being the only thing that's acceptable to spoil for everyone on Twitter because everyone assumes that everyone else has seen it.
2: Well, yeah, everybody would have already seen it if you're like if you're truly dedicated to that. But also, it's just a cultural phenomenon to be really yeah, cool to no, be part really of. Is. I'm pretty happy that I'm a half hazard fan.
0: Okay, one more thing on Game of Thrones that I have to bring up that is concerning me, just from, as an outsider looking in. It seems like I, I don't. I mean, I'm sure the the show is truly great and these episodes are living up to the expectations that everyone is saying. However, I have noticed especially this past weekend that people are criticizing the show for certain things but it does not affect their overall impression of the episode. Like for example, people were saying how the whole time how dark the scene yes, was it they was couldn't very dark. see. If you can't see the episode, how can you possibly enjoy the whole episode? So, okay, to
2: preface this, there was maybe five words of dialogue for the first, like, 50 minutes of the episode. The suspense was just building, like,
0: heart rate through the roof. And I'm not somebody who enjoys—I like dialogue in the episode. Like, I was not a huge fan of the movie Mad Max. Like, it was okay, but, like, there was all action, little dialogue— so I don't know, you know, that's an example of... of
2: this was just a director's choice. Like, they knew it wasn't going to be the best battle of the whole entire series, but they knew it was could, going could to be see, the though? most
0: hyped up. My question is, could you see what was going you
2: on? You could see enough. See what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm just saying that's it was the director's choice, and I obviously their cinematography experience yeah, and, and the
0: extraordinaire between them is incredible. Also hearing some criticisms of, you know, plot holes, things not making sense, like how does, um, you know, this all-powerful Night King grab, like, throw a javelin a million miles an hour or whatever, but they also can't choke out Arya Stark in one fell swoop, you know, but then she kills him or whatever. So, yeah, th- we're going to spoil it, too, on here. because I love
2: how that you preface that you podcast. didn't want to talk about it, listen, and now you've actually listen. spent a good amount of time so when on people, the pod. Here's
0: my, my observation from looking from the outside in. When people are willing to look past a show's glaring faults or anything's glaring faults and still blindly say it's awesome... That's a cult. And I, I so, think Game of Thrones has, is, is building up a uh, a cult, cult kind of aura around it that it, I'm very woke on. Alex. And, and until I see it for myself, I'm going to be this bitter um, conspiracy theorist that... Maybe it's not as great as everyone's putting it out, but whatever. I, I haven't seen it. I'm still gonna I'm one going day, to watch. Someday. Maybe you
2: could do it like Star Wars and you'll know the ending, but you're gonna just like work that's backwards. That's
0: true. I do like yeah, I think that's part so, that's how it have to be. I like Star yeah. Wars. So. And
2: then you could give your takes going backwards.
0: I'm also gonna see Avengers. I don't know about you.
2: Absolutely not. I have no idea what's going on in
0: that. I don't either, but I saw the last Infinity War one going in blind, hadn't seen anything maybe except for Iron Man in um in like 10, like 2008 we were maybe, yeah, we were whenever young. it was. So, And I enjoyed it. Like, I'm not gonna be someone who's like going into the theater, coming out sobbing. Like I've seen people on Twitter, like the movie made them cry, it was the best thing ever. But I think I'll be entertained for three hours if I go see it, so I'll probably do that once the hype has died down around it. Because um, right now I think we still have the diehards on their third or fourth viewing, yeah. <laughs> flooding the theaters. Yeah. So Showing people up in taking off, t- Taking <laughs> off work um, to go see it. I know some people here did. <laughs> <clears throat> not mentioning any producers by <laughs> by name but um but yeah I, I, that's it was a huge weekend I know like all of April I've pretty much been just this like bitter outsider like you know I wasn't a huge golf fan with the masters um game of thrones has been just one big uh fomo experience for me and avengers to a degree as well so uh, I just try to give people a, f- a different angle because, like, everybody's on the same page. So
2: Fair. But you are supporting me, at least, in my in my Blazers fandom. I am.
0: Didn't they lose last night? All right. I fell asleep.
2: They lost. They lost. They lost. They lost. But...
0: To, they're playing the Nuggets. They're
2: playing the Nuggets. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Jokic is incredible. He is just this giant athletic beast that I really wasn't accounting to bring that much to the well, table last night.
0: The interesting thing is I always got his, him confused with Nurkic on the it's Blazers, con- con- well, who now is recovering a from little that bit injured. broken leg. Yeah, But...
2: To be quite honest, let's be real. The Blazers were off for nearly a week.
0: They're adjusting
2: to the elevation in Denver. Like, Mm. it's okay. Like, the the Nuggets were just feeling themselves last night. We cannot make free throws. We had, like, 17 turnovers. It wasn't our best showing.
0: Bit of a letdown game, understandably, after, you know, the ultimate high of Dame Lillard's um, incredible step back buzzer beater. We haven't talked about that yet. 37-footer. Because remember, we recorded the night before.
2: And we gave them all the good juju.
0: Yeah, so we haven't talked about that yet. That was... Awesome, Um, the waving bye-bye. He completely owned Russell Westbrook on and off the court in that series. He's just a class act. Yeah, he owned him with his game. He had the perfect uh, clapbacks at the right times. Like, he didn't say too much. And in the end, you know, Russell Westbrook was exposed, and the Thunder were exposed in that series, and Portland just came out looking much better as a franchise, in my opinion.
2: There we go. So last night, yeah, it was a bit of a shell shock, but Murray was feeling himself. Jokic was doing incredible things, but we're game twos tomorrow it's night. It's a long series. It's gonna be fun.
0: Plus, it's in Denver, right? It's so, in
2: Denver. Also, you
0: know, if you split, in de- if you split on the road, yes. you're already coming out of there uh, with top. the advantage. So that's what you gotta hope and,
2: for. And fun fact: the last time that they played the Nuggets in the Western Semi Conference Finals was 1977. Wow! And that is the same year they went on to win the whole thing.
0: It's probably Bill Walton's year, right? And
2: they didn't have home court advantage then. They don't have it now.
0: Bill Walton. Was there we that get, Yes. That yeah. That was like the end of his career probably by that point.
2: So I'm I'm still having great vibes.
0: Alright, well we'll continue to follow it. Um we have to talk about one other series in the NBA playoffs with yes. uh the Warriors and Rockets kind of the series that's front and center pretty much being kind of a you know, mini NBA finals within the Western Conference just with probably the two best teams right now. <clears throat> and I just have to say, you know, continuing on my, my rants here. <laughs> Like, after watching Game 1 and kind of observing the Rockets as they've evolved over the years with James Harden and Chris Paul, and, like, they make the Warriors seem likable, you know? Like, not that the Warriors don't have individually likable guys, but, like, they're kind of the, you know, the empire at this point that you want to take down. But, like, man, the Rockets, with their whining incessantly, and I know the, the Warriors and other teams do it too, but it's different when they're trying to fundamentally, like, I think, especially James Harden, alter... The rules, right? Like they're creating a case where James Harden jumps forward into a defender and basically creates this landing zone where nobody can touch him, and it's kind of an impossible shot to defend. And then complains when he doesn't get a call after he flops and falls. This is the same guy who's basically created a whole new step in the game with his step back. <laughs> There's probably a travel every time. It's like an impossible step back that is, is two steps. Um, it's the same guy who flops when he doesn't get touched. It's on film. We've seen it. So when you flop like that, I'm sorry, like I don't want to hear him saying that the game is not fair. He came out after game one and said, I want I just want to, to be have a fair chance. Like, come on, James. Like I'm just sick of 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 in the in general, every call in the NBA, um players whining at everything for a call, crying for a call. And the Rockets are, especially with Chris Paul and James Harden it's probably the biggest offenders.
2: Oh, well, I completely agree. And uh, you didn't know this, right, when I told you this morning who the ref for Game 2 is going to be? Scott Foster?
0: Yeah. I did know that. I uh, saw that on okay. Twitter. But Scott Foster, you know, if, if you watch NBA, you've probably seen him. He's the ref with the mean part in his hair. Uh, I definitely know. haircut. And he gives the lowercase technicals to people. Have you seen that? Yes. So, like, when he tees people up, he just does the little lowercase T with the it's one finger on top of the such a cocky ref,
2: but I kind of love it. But <laughs> You the need l- him to bring I, in and lay down the law. But the last time that he was an official for... The Rockets was in February, and that is when Harden was fined for criticizing him after falling out.
0: So it should be interesting on Tuesday night.
2: But I know. didn't know that the rest were already predetermined for the first two games of the series. So yeah, I didn't know
0: how that worked either. That, so that's what you told me that I didn't know. Yeah,
2: which is interesting, but, but like, it creates just, more drama around it, and I
0: can't wait. I don't know if it's just like, if I'm noticing it more, but it just seems like the last few years, like, guys will cry after every call, and it's just unwatchable. Like, I, I don't I know. know. like. The Rockets are already hard to watch because they draw so many fouls, right? Like Harden's going to the line 20, 30 times a game right. sometimes. I don't know. They're not they are not enjoyable. Like, it's just my preference. I don't enjoy watching them play. Although I will say, friend of the pod, Eric Gordon, um, he doesn't whine. I don't think I've ever seen him cry to the refs. And, uh, you know, he also came on this podcast, so I'm biased. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, he's a guy, you know, just goes about his business. I've, I've never seen him you know bark back maybe i'm just selectively watching but anyway it's gonna be interesting because all the drama like of course on the other side you have draymond who also cries to the refs a lot and is kind of the instigator and agitator um i just can't really handle any of the drama coming from the warriors just because of their uh, elitistness yeah i mean i i thought i've always been on record as saying that kevin durant moved to golden state was super lame like i don't care you know if the idea is to make the best team possible like it was just kind of lame. Yeah, like, I, I, don't, like, I agree. I don't, I'm a current fan kind of stops there. Like, you know, everyone tries to be pro, pro player and, and say, you know, these players deserve to do what they want, which is totally true. But, like, as a competitor, I feel like at that level, there's two different types of players. There's players that will, you know, join the 73-9 team that just beat them in the playoffs, and there's players that will stay, like Dame. <sighs> and Pleasers. try and hold it down for their original franchise. So. And plus, like, Katie's probably gonna leave after this year anyway. Like He's the Warriors are probably rings. not the Warriors as we'll know that like this is probably the last year of of that franchise as I we love know it. it.
2: Like that Western dynasty can die. So
0: we'll see. And after all that disparaging of the Rockets, I still wouldn't mind to see them.
2: Oh, I'm hundred percent rooting for the Rockets. You should because <laughs> I would have liked that, that matchup with the Blazers, yeah. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Um, so moving ahead to this weekend, before we wrap up, we have to talk about a great weekend in honestly, just for events like it's,
2: it's May's beginning. So first of all, if I, if anyone tries to come at me with a Justin Timberlake, it's going to be May meme, I just can't. That needs
0: to be done. Can you explain that meme to me?
2: Oh my god. Because it's on a song. It's from Insync. You know who Insync yeah. is? Yep. Okay, so back in the glory days, I'm not going to sing the song, but one of the lines is, it's
0: going to be me. Me, right. But, but he, he says, says like it may. like May. That's what I never had clarification on. Like, was he saying me or May? So
2: saying me sounds like May, okay. and now the memes across every feed still think it's hilarious.
0: I'm glad you confirmed it. We even have it, like, as a meme in our office on, like, the monitors. I can't handle it. Yes. Yeah. So, you're not a fan? I'm I'm
2: so not. I love Justin Timberlake. I hate that meme. You're
0: here for the Mean Girls memes, but not for the JT meme.
2: Uh, Which is, eh, whatever. But regardless, yes, May's beginning, which means first weekend in May starts. We've got the Kentucky Derby coming up.
0: On May the 4th. Kentucky Derby and Star Wars Day crossover. Uh, Huge. May the 4th be with you on May 4th. Um, (coughs) I don't know about... You, but I try to tune into the Derby when I can.
2: Well, I just kind of love the obsession with Triple Crown winners, and I know we're coming off of a year where Preakness was a Triple Crown winner last year, right?
0: Was that his name? The Preakness is one of the races.
2: No, oh well, my gosh, what am I talking about? Justify, Justify, Justify. Yeah,
0: yeah. took Preakness, home the Triple Crown. That'd, be, that'd actually be dope if the horse's name was one of the races. I
2: wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> if, like, the names.
0: If, if a horse named Preakness won the Preakness, or a horse named <laughs> Belmont won the Belmont, or or like how. How brash would it be if just a uh, one of these horses was named Kentucky Derby? Well, dead?
2: okay, I wrote down some of these names just because I think they're mind-blowingly hilarious. So, like, what if you actually named your horse Win, Win, Win? Like that that's that's cocky.
0: Okay, I would bet that horse. You, you would bet that you horse. You have to. It's gonna win. Like, how could you not?
2: No, the number one horse right now. The last time I checked was Omaha Beach.
0: Okay, Omaha Beach. It's like a World have, War II throwback.
2: We have Roadster. Eh. Improbable, which is like that's, a little see, trippy. You
0: gotta bet, but improbable is five to one odds. So there's like the best odds to win. So um, it's not really improbable.
2: True. Maximum um, security.
0: So actually, this is kind of a bit, I think, last year on, uh, pardon my take, with our uh, sports industry colleagues, Big Cat and PFD. I think Big <laughs> Cat was... Um, sure, they
2: call us colleagues he as was, well. Yeah,
0: he was listing off like what names you would like have to pick to win, like can't lose or like sure thing, like, uh, like just goofy horse names that um, you would look at and be like, oh, well, uh, <laughs> I like the, <laughs> their odds to win. I think uh, one was like, you won't pick this one or something like, as, a, as a horse name, and I got a kick out of that. And honestly, they wouldn't be that out of place in some of these. Like, Improbable is already one, and Win-Win-Win. Those are two that almost could be parody names if, if you wanted.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I'm just looking at them and trying to figure out which one I'm just going to pick for the sake of picking one.
0: Uh, most exciting two minutes in sports. Are you going to watch this weekend? <laughs> I will not be here. Also, <clears throat> yeah, before we get to your itinerary of what's coming up, <laughs> we have to... Talk about the other half of this weekend. So they Go a Mile. Huge. Nice.
2: I mean, maybe if it doesn't snow, you can actually get outside, enjoy a nice bev.
0: Yeah, we've. Um, I mean, I think we've Americanized this, this holiday. We're, we're not really celebrating that. for what it was truly meant to be, but like, um, you know, it's probably. I'm sure that won't stop people from
2: anybody. From when bartaking. with the crossover, with the Derby, and, the finals, and it being on the weekend. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, there's a lot.
0: Yeah, so should be a fun weekend. However, like we just alluded to, you will not be in the country even to enjoy it, Colleen. We're going to have to miss you next week on this podcast, if I'm not mistaken, because you will Should be FaceTime me out of the country, maybe.
2: <laughs> um, yes, I'm taking a little vacation. Go on. I'm I'm going to Europe with some girlfriends.
0: All right. And what's the itinerary? Let's hear the stop.
2: Uh, we're going to Paris and Nice and Geneva and Berlin.
0: All right. So the first half of that itinerary, the Paris and Nice, I'm glad you're doing that because um, yeah, your family's to my plans. Well, we talk. Yeah, we talk, in this, <laughs> we talk in this podcast a lot about travel and like I want to make it clear like we don't <laughs> We don't yeah. live like lavish lifestyle, really really but like we just okay. We happen to be <laughs> planning a family trip potentially to Paris and Nice, and I'm leaning on you <laughs> okay. for the full re- report, the full review, and we got to figure out. Um, I'll throw up some vlogs yeah, for you and Sam. Do the some vlogs. Do, do a uh, a weekly, you know, dis- dis- uh, what do they call it? discussion post oh. in college? Remember that you put a discussion. Oh post Oh my on, god! And that way I can like comment, and you can uh, tell me all the must see attractions in france
2: perfect and you better rate my professor me after
0: for sure i'll do it i'll do it um Um, that'll be fun though like
2: should be a nice little vacation
0: it's not quite as fun as podcasting here but But i'm gonna be be really
2: stressed out not being near how am i gonna tune in to watch my blazers it's a really big derby or anything i feel like you can
0: stream can't you nba games. the times are gonna be so off like eight mm. hours
2: ahead, so when
0: the game's yeah, on, at no, you'll, eight, it'll be like middle I'll of the night. I'll probably be asleep. Yeah, maybe you can wake up, wake up and catch the fourth quarter or something. like uh, that.
2: I, you know what? As a true fan, I think I might.
0: Might as well just watch the whole thing. Honestly, <laughs>
2: Get I'm already an insomniac. Let's just add more to it.
0: Right. So you're going to Europe.
2: You're holding out in the fort here. Uh
0: yeah, I'm actually hopefully we'll see. Don't hold me to this, but uh, gonna be in Maryland this weekend or DC or whatever, um, DMV area. And potentially getting a Maryland basketball player on the podcast next for next week. So Ooh, teaser. Yeah. So we'll see. Might have to do an in-person Maryland uh, interview. This is like my way of putting the pressure on um, our friend Sean Allenby at Maryland. Yes, i be there to make this happen because I'll be in town um, enjoying hopefully the derby in Cinco de Mayo in our nation's capital this weekend. Wow. And then hopefully making it a uh, you know a slice of work working its way in to get a podcast interview done um, but that also reminded me of a meme I saw today that I'd forgotten about from Wedding Crashers the crab cakes and football that's what Maryland does So you've been saying I, that all morning
2: long I don't, so I've why, heard I don't
0: know how I forgot about that or how I've never used it in like terms or context of uh, Maryland football games as I've been here but you can be sure going into next year that it's going
2: <laughs> to am I going to see an IG caption from this weekend with that as it maybe if we get a little, uh, <laughs> a
0: little 7 on 7 going in the park you never know
2: Love it. Um, All right,
0: busy itineraries for both of us. Enjoy Europe. Um, Report back, and when are you coming back? You miss one episode or two?
2: Just one. I'll be back in like twelve days.
0: Twelve days. Wow. All right. Enjoy it. See
2: ya when I see ya.
0: Yeah. Any last words before you leave the country? Rip city. All right. Go Blazers. All right. Thanks once again to Colleen and John for joining the show really appreciate them jumping on as always really appreciate everyone listening and thanks of course to my producers Julie Bronder and Wes White who produce the show each and every week and like I said each and every week um, try and get one of these out and no different as we head into spring and kind of a dead period for college sports with summer coming up here but we'll try and keep cranking these out uh, as, as often as possible and we appreciate you continuing to listen so until then talk to you soon here on the Take 10 Podcast.